0: person today in this place. Oh, how you love us so much, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you don't see us as a number in a crowd. Lord, you know every hair on our head. Each strand is numbered. The care, the interest, oh, is amazing how you love us, God. And Lord, when We're at the end of ourselves and we don't even love who we are. We're frustrated with who we've become or ashamed at what we've done. Lord, we thank you that you never leave us. You never forsake us. There's never a bad comment that comes from your mouth because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, that you would use my tongue to bless your people. You would use my tongue to equip your people. You would use my voice, Lord, to strengthen the feeble and the weak. You would use, Lord, my voice and my words Empowered and anointed by your Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, to strengthen every person in this place. That we would know all of the wonderful things that you've destined our lives for. And planned for us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Come on church, let's give him a big shout. Praise in this place and let's thank our musicians too. And you may be seated. Come on, let's give him a big clap. We can do that. Well done. Excellent. God is so good, isn't he? He really is. Well, over this week and next week, I want us to, well, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2 in particular. And when we look at this chapter, really, we're looking at how the church was birthed. And how really it all began. But before we begin to read verses from Acts chapter 2. I want to give you some background into this great chapter. Because whilst this chapter records an incredible encounter. That the disciples had with the Holy Spirit in an upper room the background before it is equally as incredible. The events that occurred prior to this outpouring in Acts chapter 2 were in themselves amazing, in themselves incredible. And I want us, before we begin to look at this great chapter in Acts chapter 2 that records the birth of the early church, I want us to consider some things that happened prior to this outpouring. Some 50 days before Acts chapter 2, Jesus had died on the cross. Before these disciples had come together and assembled in an upper room, they had witnessed firsthand how the world around them and the demonic forces hated Jesus. Visibly, they had seen him die. Visibly, they had seen him hung and crucified on a cross and buried in the grave. These disciples that gathered together in the upper room were eyewitnesses of terrible events. They had seen the Messiah, the Savior, the one that they had put their trust and hope in, die. They had seen the one that had spoken great things and issued great promises, cut down in the prime of his ministry, in the prime of his life. They were faced with huge defeat, huge disappointment as the weight of this world And an invisible spiritual world bore down on them to resist them in what God wanted to do through them. Whenever God wants to do something with your life, there will always be resistance. There will always be opposition. There will always be a contending power of darkness to come against it. There really will. Even in our church church. This church, this family, this house of God going forward. There will always be things as we move forward and take steps for God within this city. There will always be a countering, resisting force of darkness that will try to overpower and hinder the walk that we take. But we've got great news that God is on our side, that He is within us, is greater than he that is in this world. And to counter every circumstance that tries to hinder us, to counter every every opposing force that tries to push us back, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We got strength from that joy. We don't have to scowl, cry we may, but I'm telling you now there's a joy inside of us that is God's, from God's heart that enables us to get back up off the floor and continue on in the work that he's set out for us. These disciples, these men that Jesus had chosen, simple fishermen and learned and educated, these men had been terribly opposed, terribly defeated, and they were terribly disappointed. It was a terrible situation. And if you were to look at the facts, it wasn't conducive to start a church. It wasn't conducive. If you were to look at the environment that Jesus sent them out into, it was not conducive for anything good to happen. Because it was so dark and so heavy. And defeat was in the air. Not only had these disciples seen the wickedness of the world around them. They'd also seen the worst of their own world within them. You see this crisis of Christ being crucified on the cross had revealed some bitter truths about their own character. On that last night before Jesus had died, we know it well. We've referred to it many times. He'd got down on his knees and he'd washed his disciples' feet. Tenderly served them and loved them and set a beautiful example of this new kingdom life before them. They'd been arguing in the afternoon, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus had led them to a private moment in an upper room before he's about to suffer and be crucified. And he got down on his knees. And knowing the conversations of of, of the heart, he said, listen, if you want to be the greatest, you have to become the least. And he washed their feet And he demonstrated this new kingdom life that was so foreign to them, so strange to them. They'd grown up in a natural world and taken on its values and taken on all of its attitudes. And Jesus now was bringing them to, again, a crisis moment where they were coming face to face with a different kingdom. It wasn't about being great. It wasn't about being one above another. It was about getting down on your knees and washing another's feet And serving from the heart and loving the person next to you and alongside you. And this was strange to these disciples. Peter protested, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, listen, you don't know what spirit you're of. If you do not allow me to do this, you have no part with me. And then, of course, Peter says, you can wash everything. Jesus said, your feet will do. Thank you very much. But Jesus, you see, don't let your mind go there. (laughs) Jesus, Jesus, he wasn't telling them to go into a foot-washing ministry. He was showing them the spirit of the kingdom. He was showing them the spirit of a new resurrected life and the power that it gives you over that old self that wants to hinder you and stop you doing what God's called you to do with others in the world in which you live. He was exampling that. But this this night and this time that they were in before the wonderful outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not only would they see the horrific events and the hate of the world around them toward Jesus and what he was going to do, but they would also see an inner world within them that was equally as destructive, and equally as negative. On from this night, Peter, within a few hours of swearing allegiance to Jesus, swearing that he would even die with Jesus, would betray him or deny him. Judas betrayed him using that opportunity to, to, to get a few, you know, a few, uh, uh, some, some money, To betray the Son of God over to the hands of sinful men. He used his opportunity in in betraying Jesus. And suddenly Peter gets questioned when Jesus is taken and arrested by a little girl. He doesn't get interrogated by the soldiers. He doesn't get interrogated by, by the religious parties that Jesus was being tested by, he gets questioned but by a little girl. And she says, I recognize you. You were part of the party with that Jesus that they've just arrested, weren't you? And Peter, just like Jesus had said, denies him three times. And on beyond there, as he went through his sufferings, and as he hung on that cross, one by one, each deserted him and they went their own way. These disciples that Jesus had loved, these disciples that, that Jesus had taken in as his friends, as his very own brothers, these disciples that Jesus had given the keys to the kingdom to, were seeing a world around them that hated Christ. But also, they were very aware of a world within them, a character, a nature within them that couldn't stand up to the pressure and to the tests of what was happening. Dark time, confusing time. And then they hear rumors of Jesus rising from the dead, just as he said he would. Three days later, the Bible tells us Jesus has risen from the dead. He's conquered death and brought forth life in resurrection power. And now he's back up on his feet and he's visiting them in a a room that's enclosed. and, And they're hiding from fear of the Jews. On the evening of his resurrection, he goes straight to that room. And they're, they're, they're behind locked doors, and he walks into their midst. He doesn't come hunting them down. He doesn't come to, you know, rebuke them and challenge them as to, as to the decisions they'd, they'd made about leaving him and deserting him and denying him. No, he walks straight into the midst, and he says, peace. Do you know what it tells me? When I read that in John chapter 20, I'm telling you now, God never gives up on any single one of us. He does not give up on any one of us. He always believes for the best. He always knows that he can get us from where we are to where he wants us to be. And it doesn't matter what you think has disqualified you. It doesn't matter what you think is holding you back. I'm telling you now, Jesus will come into that place where, where you've hidden in And he'll get to you and he'll say, peace be to you. And that peace will be the provision that you need to do what he's called you to do. He walks in there. Nobody in the room now, think about this for a moment. Nobody in the room now is arguing Who's going to be the greatest? There was only one in the room that could deserve such a title. And he had nail prints in his hand and in his feet and a pier side. Nobody in the room is looking as to what future they can get over another. Each of them has their focus on the risen Christ, their Savior. Now, on beyond here, the Bible tells us that Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, it actually tells us that Jesus met with his disciples for over 40 days. 40 days he met with them and he began to teach them regarding things about the kingdom. He also began to show them infallible proofs that it was him that had risen from the dead. Acts chapter 1 tells us that. Jesus had met with his his disciples. In fact, not just the disciples. According to Paul, who would write later, to the Corinthian church, he said that Jesus actually met with over 500 believers, 500 followers Jesus met in this 40-day period, day in, day out, teaching them about the kingdom, teaching them about what he had come to do and what he was going to enable them to do. And in this time when he met, now remember, this is a background, this is a backdrop to what we're going to read about in Acts chapter 2. Very important. At that time of meeting with those disciples, over that 40-day period, some 500, over 500, Jesus said to them to wait in Jerusalem until the promised Holy Spirit Would be given. 500. He directed and guided. And commissioned. To go to Jerusalem. And wait. That's what Paul tells us. In 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15. And yet. On the day of Pentecost. We don't find that there was 500. Meeting in an upper room. According to Acts. Chapter 1 you read that there was 120, not over 500. Why is that? There's over 380 people missing from that moment where Jesus had directed them and guided them to wait until the promised Holy Spirit had come. Over 380 people were missing from this moment on the day of Pentecost. Could it have been that some had not heard what he said? Could it have been that others evaluated the cost and thought it not a priority to be at? Could it have been that others were distracted by the life around them and had to attend to their duties rather than make it a priority of their lives to follow The direction that Jesus had given. We'll never know. But what we do know is that over 380 people were missing that were instructed to be at Jerusalem for this wonderful encounter that the Holy Spirit was going to bring to them on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. We find them in an upper room. And the Bible says that they were in one place, in one accord, ready, praying, waiting to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, but you will receive power an ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. They had just walked around the areas that Jesus had ministered in and it wasn't a large radius at all really, maybe a 40 or a 50 mile radius in, in their locality, Jesus had ministered to masses of people. But now Jesus is telling them about the Holy Spirit whom they would receive. And he was envisioning them. He was, he was broadening their expectation. And he said, boys, you're going to fill Jerusalem. You're going to touch Judea and Samaria. And don't count off the ends of the earth. You're going to go to places you've never even thought of. And my Holy Spirit is going to empower you to be my witness, to do things that you can't even imagine. And he envisioned them. And he promised this ability from the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, as he would fill them. He would enable them to witness for Christ. Do you know in that room... Scholars tell us that they probably were waiting for 10 days. They were praying with one another. Praying, waiting, expecting to receive this promise from the Father that Jesus had promised. Jesus had described the Holy Spirit to them on many occasions. He told them that he would be a counselor to them. He told them that he would lead them into all truth. The Holy Spirit would be their comforter. He would be their leader. He would be their standby, the one that, that would hold them up when they felt that they were falling or failing. They needed the Holy Spirit to fill them, to empower them, to enable them to, to walk in this life effectively for Christ and win their world. But, you know, when they were there, they must have thought... Whilst they looked around the room, they must have thought, well, you know, maybe this is it. Maybe it doesn't get any bigger or any better than this. Maybe we are destined to to be in this room and this room is where it begins and where it ends, this upper room. And maybe they thought, well, you know, we did start out when Jesus was here with over 500, but now... He's ascended to heaven because they saw him ascend. Maybe now they thought, well, you know, we're not going to get any bigger than this 120, so we'll just faithfully hold on and pray. Little did they know, little did they know that by the end of the day, they would never ever go back to that room in which they'd grown maybe comfortable in, That room that they had had prayed in, they would never ever go again into that upper room as a result of what the Holy Spirit would do. You know, maybe those 380 left because they didn't want to see Peter or any of the other disciples lead this work. Maybe they didn't like the apostles that Jesus had chosen and Jesus had, had, had equipped and anointed to lead this forward. There can be 101 reasons why those 380 didn't turn up and gather in that room. But I'm telling you now, when God has declared he's going to do something, it doesn't matter whether the majority leave and, and, and a, major, a, a minority is left. When God has declared that he's going to do something, he's going to do it. He really is. So they're there. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 2. And you'll know these words well. But let's start here. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through to verse 4. It says this, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. When you go through the chapter, you begin to see that the house couldn't contain them. The power of the Holy Spirit that came into that house wouldn't allow them to stay within the containment of that room. The Bible says that they burst out onto the street to a waiting world that had heard this violent rushing wind coming into that room. And they begin to speak in tongues and each and every person within that city heard their own language being spoken by unlearned men and unlearned women that were now enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. They heard them talking about the great works of God and about the miracles that God wanted, wanted to do as regards to salvation and what Jesus had done on the cross and through his resurrection. They heard all of the wonderful works of God through the mouths of unlearned people and humble people and simple people. The Holy Spirit did it. Do you know, without the Holy Spirit, they would have remained in that room. You can't do anything in God's kingdom or really in this world for God without the power of the Holy Spirit. We all know that. And it's good that we say amen to that. It's good that we acknowledge that. It's good that we realize that it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. It is only the Holy Spirit, isn't it, that can enable us, that can set us up, that can put us into situations for His glory. You know, as Faye said, this week, we were, uh, Summer broke her arm, and um, on Monday, oh, And, you know, it was a bad break. And, uh, you know, she was in a lot of pain. I had to pick her up from from her her school in Pontypool. And you could see she was really, you know, really in agony. And that was not nice. I took, I, I picked Faye up at the church. Summer was in the car. We rushed her to a and E. I I dropped Faye and Summer at a and and then I took the car back and I just parked it on a street and on my way to a and E, I I was literally minutes away, all of a sudden a man just started speaking to me. Not really an opportune time when you run in to see your daughter who's suffering in a and and he just started speaking to me, talking about his back and saying it was bad and, um, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm on the run, and I'm talking to him, and he's speeding up with me, and I'm speeding up. And um, I, said to, I, I said to him, I said, oh, mate, you've got a bad back. Yeah. I said, you want to do, I, I mean, I'm stopping now. We've got all this going on. I said, you want to do some stretches like this? Have you ever got a bad back, right? Cross your legs. Oh, stretch. You stretch all your muscles, right? It does work. Promise you, right? So I'm showing him this right? And we're in the grounds of the Gwent. Oh, yeah, I'll try that, he said. And I said, do you know what else you want to try? What? I said, cycling. I said, cycling will do it. That'll help. So then, of course, he's a cyclist, right? So um, we're talking, oh, yeah, I I do the road, I do the mountain, and we're talking away. And, you know, summer's in A&E, and this is in the back of my mind. And I thought, do you know what? Mm, This is not chance now. I'm not missing this opportunity. I'm not missing this. This is what we live for. I said, hey. His name was Daniel. I said, Daniel, have you ever heard of the King's Church? Yes, Lower Dock Street. Yeah, that's it. I said, do you know what, Daniel? I said, I'd love to see you in church. Oh, I'll come to church, he said. And... Um, I said, we'd love to see you. You'd love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're talking away. And then I thought, I just can't leave it there. I've got to give him an opportunity right now to ask Jesus into his life. So I said, I said, Daniel, I said, let me ask you something. Yeah, go on, he said. I said, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? I said, that's the most important question. I'm not asking you to become an attendee of a church. I'm asking you to open your heart and ask Jesus Christ to come in and live inside you. Have you ever done that, Daniel? It's not hard. No, I haven't, he said. I said, would, would you like to? Would you, would you like to pray with me right now to ask Jesus into your life? Yes, he said. So right there, right, right there, in the Gwent, and not quietly, forget that. I took his hand. I said, Daniel, say this after me, Lord Jesus. And now, hey, people passing, who cares, man? Come on, who cares? Right? And we, we prayed that prayer. We prayed that prayer and he asked Jesus into his heart. Now, now do you know what? It's, that's the, the presence and the guidance of the Holy Spirit that all of us have access to that enables us to do what he wants done in somebody's life. There's stories over, over this building, I'm sure, this week, just like that one, where you have had opportunities and you've taken them. And maybe you, you haven't prayed that prayer with, with that person that God has helped you to talk to. Maybe you've not prayed that prayer, but that's absolutely fine. You've taken them another step closer to the Lord and Savior that you love and the one that loves them, Jesus. In this, in this scene that we see in Acts chapter 2, we see men and women alike out on the street, out in the hustle and the bustle of life, in a city, in a city that was hostile, in a city that had murdered and crucified their Savior and Lord but in a city that could not defeat or confine him to the grave. For he had risen from the dead, and now he had done what he promised right back at the beginning. He had sent the Holy Spirit in power to fill them and enable them to be his witnesses to a world around them. See it for a moment. Think about it. 120 get touched by the power of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. They burst out onto the street. They go into a very hostile environment and now suddenly 3,000, have received Christ and have been baptized. Imagine that. What do you do? What do you do? That's where my head goes. What do you do with all those people? 3,000 people. Peter and the disciples were simple men. They didn't have any expertise in event management or crowd management or how to bring all this thing together. They were simple men. They didn't have, you know, databases. We use databases, thank God for them, but they didn't have any kind of you know computerization of systems and to help them manage this mass of people. but the Holy Spirit who had originated and birthed and ordained this event took care of all of the confusing things that were happening because this could have been chaotic. This could have, you know, broken every health and safety law in the book. But God was in control. There wasn't chaos. There wasn't confusion. There was blessing, there was unity. Peter wasn't running around with the apostles. Oh, we you know, we got to make sure that that you you come to church next Sunday. We got to make sure that You know, that we look after you, that we care for you. No, the Holy Spirit was orchestrating everything, and they would look after them, and they would instruct them, and their well-being was of utmost priority to these apostles and others who were serving, but behind all of it, the Holy Spirit was keeping it all together. Let me read to you. From Acts chapter 2, verse 40 to verse 47. After Peter had delivered his word to the mass of people that were around him, it says this, and with many other words, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, And simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Remarkable words. This wasn't pre-planned. This wasn't a strategy that they concocted. If the Holy Spirit did come... This was a spontaneous manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power among people so that he would keep them together, that they wouldn't scatter abroad, but they would become a family of believers, the church that Jesus had declared he would build and the gates of hell would not prosper against it or prevail over it. The Holy Spirit looked after and there was an inner devotion within these people's hearts to obey and listen to the doctrine of the apostle, the words of the apostles. And then it says, continually and steadfastly, they fellowshiped together. You know, I've said this over recent months, but I want to say it again today. What you see here Emerging in Acts chapter 2 is a very clear pattern, a pattern, how God builds his church. In Exodus 25, God spoke to Moses when he was building a tabernacle and he said, listen, Moses, do everything according to the pattern that I have given you. Moses had to build everything according to what God had shown him. He couldn't, you know, bring his own ideas and his, you know, his DIY spirit into what God had declared. No, he had to build everything according to the pattern that had been given him. And here in Acts chapter 2, there was a very, very clear pattern according to the church that was emerging, according to the church that was beginning. They met in temple courts, in the temple courts. The temple courts could hold the thousands of people that had recently received Christ and been baptized. The temple courts represent the large gathering, like our gathering today. It's wonderful to come together in a large gathering like this, chat with each other, fellowship with one another, and thank God for the week that he's just brought us through. It's wonderful. And we never, ever want to take for granted this this large corporate gathering that we have one with another. But, but, that is only one side of this wonderful picture of the church because the Bible says that they fellowshiped. They fellowship one with another. They broke bread. They celebrated the fact that Jesus had died. They celebrated the fact that, that he had also risen from the dead and that he would return for them in the breaking of the bread. And they prayed together from house to house. I'm going to close. I'm going to ask the musicians to come we're going to look at this a little bit further next week but i wanted to give you just a background today into acts chapter 2 and the beginning of this wonderful journey that they were on in building the church that Jesus had declared he would build they fellowshiped with one another they met in homes Jesus had demonstrated all the way through his ministry the value of a home. He'd gone in and out of homes. He'd taught in homes. He'd healed in homes. He'd done miracle after miracle in homes. The religious system around them was all centered in the iconic temples that the former times and former generations had built. But now there was a new emphasis. There was a new wineskin. There was a new life, a new pattern that was emerging in this New Testament church that it wasn't just about the large gathering, but it was about the small, intimate gathering in homes, the fellowship of believers with one another. Jesus had said to them, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Not two or three thousand. Not just two or three thousand. Of course, he can be there with vast numbers of people. No problem. But never let us forget or underestimate the blessing and the priority and the promise that Jesus gives about our gatherings in our homes. And today I say all of that to say this. Our hearts as a leadership and certainly our hearts as pastors here, Faye and I, is so is is for every single one of us to be in fellowship one with another. It's not a command, it's not a demand, but from the bottom of my heart, I don't want anybody to miss out on the rich blessing of being in what we would call a connect group, the blessing that our family has received from being connected within a body, being connected within a family, being connected within a small group, is so, so wonderful. I wouldn't want any single one to miss out on that blessing and that opportunity. Now today you may have been You may be here for the first time. You may have been coming a a number of months. You may have been here a year and still you haven't been able to take a step into a connect group. I realize, I realize that it's a big step. Because it's a smaller, more intimate group. But you know what? When you take that step and you commit to it, and you consistently give your life to help others and those others help you, you do really truly experience the richness and the blessing of fellowship that Jesus has designed for your life. And today, maybe, It could be a moment where you visit this afresh. You may have been hurt in a connect group. You may have been part of a connect group and, you know, it's not there any longer. Listen, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to be a part of a connect group. It's within the pattern, not just the large gathering like this. Why? Because sometimes in a large gathering like this, We can easily just come in and and go out. And unintentionally, you will be missed. Unintentionally, you might not be greeted. Unintentionally, you might not be welcomed. You might be missed. I don't want any single person that considers this place to be their spiritual home, that have laid their roots down in this church, to feel on the fringe. We are a family. We are a family in a world that's dark, in a world that has so many different ways to go, in a world that seems so strong and fierce in trying to direct your life. I tell you now, we are a family that fellowship as believers. And that is where our strength lies. It really is. So today, in the closing moments of this service, maybe... It's time to reconsider that. Maybe over the next months, you want to think about that. Maybe in the new year, you'll make that decision. Do you know what? I'm going to get into into a connect group. I'm going to fellowship with others. And maybe you're going to take others with you. I'm telling you now, as you do, not only will your roots go down deeper into the soil of this church, but you will be so enriched by the people that you meet and the fellowship that you have in Him. If you want to know more about that, you can come and see me and Fay. You can see Haley and Noel. You can see uh, Dave and Sarah at the back or the connection team at the back. Or maybe you know somebody that goes to a connect group that can take you there. But we will do everything we can possible to look after your well-being in this house and one of the one of the greatest steps that you can make is to make that decision as they did they did it listen peter didn't say on the day of pentecost now everybody i want you in a connect group open up your homes it happened from the heart it happened simultaneously to the holy spirit being Poured out. It was just the most natural, the most organic thing to do spiritually. We've got to be with like minded, like hearted people in fellowship one with another and suddenly this large, this large crowd of 3,000 people were no longer strangers to one another. They could look across the table in one another's eyes and they knew each other's name. They knew each other's problems and burdens and they prayed together and they shared together and Jesus would come among them and the communion, the celebration in the home was wondrous that they had to do it every day. We're just doing it once every two weeks. But they just had to do it every day. You just don't do that. You don't do that if it's religious and sterile and lifeless. You do that when there's power and energy and force and, and, and joy and, and communion and embrace and fellowship. It's deeper than friendship. It is. Friendship's wonderful. That's one level. But when you go to fellowship and you get to agreement, I'm telling you now, it's far deeper. It's far deeper. So we go in there. This is our heritage to fellowship one with another. And in the fellowship, and in the fellowshipping of our communion together, Jesus comes into the midst of it. You say, well, I want to meet Jesus in my room. At six o'clock in the morning, all on my own. Well, that may that may happen. But when when I was, you know, down on my knees at 6 a.m. in the morning, wanting to meet Jesus, he told me to go back to bed, which I thanked him for. Jumped back into bed and it was nice and warm, cuddled up to Fay and woke up. No, the fellowship of believers is where you'll meet the risen Christ. It really is. It really is. It's so scriptural. So this is ahead of us church be blessed father i pray today oh your people are so wonderful they're so precious lord i don't want anybody to be on their own i don't want anybody to feel lonely i don't want anybody lord in this place to feel abandoned or or struggling holy spirit we are your body we are your people. Holy Spirit, you've designed us to have fellowship one with another so that we can cast our burdens, yes, on you, but Lord, that we can carry one another's burdens also as the Scripture tells us to do. Lord, I pray for every single person that has this house as their home. Lord, I pray that it would truly be a home, a place of intimacy and family and relationship. Father, as I have, Lord, spoken your word, I pray that you would now enable us and empower us to be your witnesses and to build according to the word that you've spoken to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on.